page 778 of the Pew Bibles, Micah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O terror of the flock, hell of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now the nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. This is God's word, and we thank him for it. One of the hardest things to describe in the Christian faith is the tension that exists between the already and not yet. It's what St. Paul means when he says in Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We know absolutely that we have been justified by faith. That's a done deal. If your faith's in Christ alone, then right now you are in a right standing with God. You don't have to be in any doubt whatsoever. But Paul uses that same tense to translate glorified. But we all know, obviously, that we are not yet in glory. But it's something that is 100% guaranteed to happen. So certain 
But Paul talks about it like it's in the past tense. He says something similar in Ephesians 2. He says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's something so sure that Paul talks about it like it's already happened, even though it hasn't quite happened. The already, but not yet. At the last day, there won't be anything left to wait for. But in our lives, we know that there's a tension that still exists. We live it every day. Martin Luther put it like this, simultaneously a saint and a sinner. The alreadiness of being perfect, but not yet sinless. Satan's lost the war. We are victorious in Christ. But we know all too well that our battle against the devil, against the world, and against the flesh still rages on. When we come to Micah 4, that's really what we're talking about, that period, the already but not yet, the period that we are in right here, right now. In Bible talk, it's often referred to as the last days or the latter days. It's the period between Christ's ascension and his second coming. That's what the biblical definition of the last days is, or the end times. The period between Christ's ascension and his second coming. We can see it in passages like Acts 2, where Peter's sermon interprets Pentecost as occurring in the last days. We know that those kinds of signs and wonders at Pentecost would eventually stop. Where the author of Hebrews talks about the end of the prophetic office, he says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That's where a great deal of false religion comes from. Mormonism claims that Joseph Smith was a prophet. The Jehovah Witnesses claim that the Watchtower is the prophetic office. Islam claims that Muhammad was a prophet. Even within Protestant Christianity, we hear frequent claims by so-called prophets. Men and women who claim to hear the very voice of God speaking outside scripture. It's a staple of a great brand of many Protestant churches. It's prominent in things like Bethel and the Global Awakening Movement. My plea to you is to run away from those things. Yet we know from scripture that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Maybe at another point, we'll think more about spiritual gifts and what all of that entails. But this morning, I want us to think about Micah 4 and the last days as Micah speaks about them. If you remember last week, hopefully, 
at the end of Micah 3, the prophecy has entailed that Jerusalem, temple and all, has been flattened to the ground. Church and state has brought absolute disaster on God's people. So chapter 4, if anything, is the first extended picture of hope that God's people have. It's a picture of the new temple. So in verse 1, let's hear something to rejoice in. It opens with that really important uh, marker. In the latter days. This is a prophecy that is a long time in the making. About 750 years before Christ's death and ascension. But in Micah 4, what do these last days actually look like? Well, it's something with a global reach. It's like Ezekiel's vision of the new temple. A lot of this is figurative and symbolic. If you take Ezekiel's vision of the new temple as literal, literal bricks and mortar building, then you might be surprised to know that from the, the, the dimensions that he gives, it would cover a physical area roughly the size of the European continent. Instead, it's figurative of a new temple that covers the whole earth. People from every nation. Its reach is global. It's established as the highest of the mountains. Absolutely everyone will see it. Uh, the typological mountain that God's people were terrified of in Exodus 19, where God warned them to be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches it is to be put to death. That mountain is now described as something that the peoples, people, plural, that the peoples will stream to. Think about when B&M opened in Ballinahinch. You think that the queen had been giving out blank checks. The people, people from many nations, people from many tribes, many tongues, will stream to this mountain of the Lord. They'll say in verse 2, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. So these last days, when the prophetic office has ceased, and God has spoken to us by his Son, we'll see God's people from all the nations come to the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. Instead of the temple that has been flattened in the last uh, chapter, we read about a new temple, the Lord's temple. Not a temple made with physical bricks and mortar, but what Peter describes as being built with believers, living stones that are being built into a spiritual house around the cornerstone, Christ Jesus. So notice two things that these folks will do in verse 2. They'll come to listen to the word of God. He will teach us his ways. Why? So that we may walk in his paths. He will teach us his ways. Not Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon, not Muhammad's Quran, not the Watchtower, or anything else. God himself will teach his people his ways through his word. How do we know it's through his word? The final sentence of verse 2. The law will go out from Zion, 
the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word law there is actually much better translated as teaching or Torah. It's the Torah, the law, the teaching, the word of the Lord from the seat of his throne, the new Jerusalem. If you look down to verse 5, you'll see that this, this is how God's people are to be different from those who don't believe. All the nations may walk in the names of their made-up gods, but we, we the believers, will walk in the name of the Lord our God, not just now, but forever and ever. The nations will walk in the names of their made-up gods until they die and go to a lost eternity. But we, we with faith, we will walk in the name of our Lord, our God, forever and ever. So what does this temple look like? What's the temple of the new Jerusalem look like? This temple of the last days. Well, it's quite different than what they're used to. If they're learning from the word of God and walking in his ways, then we know from verses 3 and 4 that it's marked by peace. Imagine a temple that was truly global. Not fixed in one nation, didn't speak just one language, wasn't just one skin color. But instead, as John says in Revelation 5, that the Messiah has with his blood purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You would have people who normally would be at war with each other, but now at peace. That's what people fight over. That's why wars exist. Flags, lands, borders. Imagine looking to a time, to a day, where swords are turned into plows and spears are turned into pruning hooks. In Hebrew thought, peace was not just the absence of violence or war. Peace or shalom is positive as the presence of God, God dwelling with his people. And that's what Micah is looking at. Friends, already we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we are already at peace with one another. That's already true. But it's not quite yet, is it? That's the tension. Are we at peace with one another? Those plows, the pruning hooks, those are things which are used to cultivate the new Eden. Like we read in verse 4. Everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree. Imagine getting told at the time after the destruction of Jerusalem that a time was coming when not only would there be peace, but there would actually be a return to Eden. There won't be any fear for the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty has spoken. In verse 6, we find out more of what the new temple looks like. It's the assembly, the gathering, the call, the ecclesia, or the church. 
In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather or assemble the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those that I have brought to grief. The lame, the exiles, the ones who God has brought to grief for their sin. The worthless, the strangers, the sinners. That is what the church is. The worthless, the stranger, and the sinner. People of no account to the world. Us. That's the church. And that's what makes verse 7 such good news. The Lord will make the lame his remnant. That's who the Lord has chosen. Those who can't help themselves. He will make the exile or those driven away into a strong nation. And if you're not convinced that that's the church, listen again to what Peter said. But you, a holy nation, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The remnant, the exile, that's us on the earth at this moment. We are the church. We are a holy nation. We are foreigners and exiles. And like verse 7, the Lord rules over us. And like verse 8, we know that our king would come to Jerusalem. But it's not David. It's not Solomon. It's not the kings that he mentions in chapter 1, Jotham, Ahaz, or Hezekiah. This is King Jesus. King Jesus shall be the watchtower of his flock, the stronghold of his people. King Jesus shall be the ruler of his dominion. That's the already. God is right now truly ruling and reigning. But we are experiencing things in the not yet. It's not always how we see things. Verse 9 asks a rhetorical question. Why are you crying? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished? The answer is not at all. But in verse 10, we find that daughter Zion's suffering is like a woman in labor. She's been taken from a camp into the open field. Micah here is making a parallel in how the ceremonial uncleanliness of giving birth is noted in Leviticus 12. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean. Micah is saying that the coming exile, the exile to Babylon, is like a new mother leaving the camp. But she will return because rescue and redemption are absolutely certain. The enemies, the surrounding nations, those who don't listen to the Lord, those who mock him, those who don't walk in his ways, well, they laugh at God's people. Let her be defiled. Let her eyes gloat over her. The enemies of God's people laugh, mock, scorn. They set up bombs at Easter services. They shoot automatic rifles at worshippers. They mock the risen Savior. They love the intolerance of tolerance. They say we're fools. 
God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he doesn't love us. Verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. They don't see the big picture. They don't know God's word. They don't understand that there's actually two gatherings or assemblies. One is the church, the invisible church, those who truly know Christ. The other gathering is those who don't know the Messiah. And what's he gathering them for? He's gathering them like sheaves to the threshing floor. In Luke 3.17, here's what John the Baptist says the Messiah will do to this assembly. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Through the Messiah, daughter Zion, the church will break to pieces those many nations, the enemies of God. That's the messianic warning in Psalm 2. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. That's not already. That's not yet. That's a picture of the judgment that is coming. If you are not in the kingdom of the Messiah, you will not see the peaceful and prosperous promised land. You won't see the tree. You won't see the vine. Listen to God's words in Revelation 21. Luke, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Who are the ones who know the Messiah? Who will God dwell with? His people. The ones who will have every tear wiped away from their eyes where there will be no more death. They are his people. And that is set in stone. Even if it's not how we experience things here on earth. And I know it sure doesn't feel like that sometimes. We have tears, we have sadness, we have death, we have sorrow upon sorrow. We all do. We have people, we have things that make us fearful. But folks, we have a glorious, bright future set alight by the burning glory of God revealed in the cross. It is in him alone that we find our hope. So folks, know your God Know his word. Walk in his ways. 
We are not here to play games with this. This morning, we thank God for the gospel in Micah 4. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more mourning, no more death, no more sorrow, but all of life will be lived in your presence and the glory of heaven. Lord, we thank you for our grace, for your grace to us. Lord, we depend entirely on you. In, these, in the name of Christ, we pray.